It's FAQ NYC Off Cycle, where the New Yorkist podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers, the city, steps back to take different and deeper looks into some of the things that are always happening here in the only place in the world. I'm Alyssa Katz, the city's executive editor. And in this installment of my series on the big question, what is New York for? I'm speaking with the Reverend David Brawley, who is the pastor of St. Paul Community Baptist Church in East Brooklyn and co-chair of the Metro Industrial Areas Foundation, a legendary and influential community organizing group. Let's jump right in. Reverend Brawley, welcome to FAQ NYC. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Reverend, you're prominent in East Brooklyn, in the community organizing world, in the housing world, but not everyone listening to FAQ NYC knows you. So just please tell us a little bit about yourself, starting with your congregation, St. Paul's Baptist Church in Brooklyn. How do you conceive your role as a Brooklyn community leader? And also, how does what goes on in the pulpit and pews connect to what's going on in your larger community? Well, again, thank you for having me on and um, delighted to be with you and uh, your audience tonight. Um, I would just simply say this about St. Paul. I would define us as a prophetic community. Um, Many churches engage in liturgical activities solely. We believe that um, we have to have community uh, impact, prophetic impact, as well as our liturgical role uh, of ministry. Um, St. Paul Community Baptist Church is about 95 years old. Um, We're located in the East New York section of Brooklyn and uh, have been at the center of much of the transformation of East New York and East Brooklyn. And um, we claim that as our role, but also not just as our role locally, but also to bear witness of what is possible in our world. So, you know, for many years now, you've been a leader with also a larger group of religious and other community organizations under the banner of Metro IIF, Metro Industrial Areas Foundation. And that's a name listeners also might not know, but it's a group that's left a really powerful legacy in New York City and beyond, and particularly in affordable housing and neighborhood renewal from a time when a lot of city neighborhoods were were really badly hurting and full of vacant lots uh, were being disinvested. And, you know, w- one of the big legacies from Metro IAF is the Nehemiah Homes in, in Brooklyn and the Bronx. You've had Spring Creek in Brooklyn. Tell us about what Nehemiah has meant and continues to mean, uh, particularly in your East Brooklyn community and beyond. Like, how has it changed the course of communities and people's lives? So Nehemiah is really about communal regeneration. When we have stories currently about black and brown families fleeing the city for the last two decades, um, ours is a story in our location where families can actually afford to stay. So it is a power strategy um, about keeping people in the community, the folks who have been there during difficult times actually can now afford to stay in the more prosperous times of home ownership. Yeah, and I think one of the remarkable things about Nehemiah that you know really, really struck me uh, is that you know during the foreclosure crisis, for example, in the 2000s, when you had so many communities, and particularly Black homeowners, who were losing their homes because of predatory lending, 
And because of just targeting of their communities by really unsavory and criminal actors who profited off of draining wealth from communities. I mean, you didn't see that in Nehemiah communities. And I think one one reason, I think there are a bunch of reasons having to do with the kind of foundation of those communities, um, but also had to do with uh, you know, the covenants that were in the, you know, that when people purchased their homes, they had agreements with the city of New York that, you know, they, these would be homes to live in. These wouldn't be houses they would flip or extract equity from. It was about building community. And I'm using covenant in the legal sense, but I also think, you know, as a religious person, you recognize the significance of, of that word and its religious connotations. There is kind of a, a covenant uh, in a faith that neighborhoods that have been devastated uh, could be reborn. And I wanted to get a sense of what it takes to build that kind of shared mission and vision where you have people who are buying homes, but you know maybe there's something bigger going on than simply the act of, of, of having a place to live that you can afford. Well, what's going on there? Alyssa, one of the joys that I have um, in my role as a co-chair to East Brooklyn Congregations and Metro IF is to be able to host um, people, citizens from other jurisdictions and locations who ask us the question you just asked: How did this happen? How do, how do you how do you do this? And how can I do this in my community? And one of the things we stress is: um, though you see the outcome of five thousand homes built by East Brooklyn congregations um, and and some of our other affiliates. That that is the outcome, but really it began with people coming together to build power, to understand that we have a stake and a role in what happens in our community. And so in the early 80s, churches, schools, and other groups came together from the community and organized and asked, what was the quintessential issue? What is it that they wanted to work on? Um, and ultimately, the answer was affordable housing. And interestingly enough, it's still an area of concern in our city and throughout our country as well. So um, they had the foresight, um, the intuition, but also had the will to work and to build power. And they understood what that was going to take. Um, that was going to take doing what we call house meetings and one-on-one -on -one meetings and deepening and building relationships to work together to understand we all have stake in this, and this is all in our self-interest, to build together the kind of organization that can hold elected officials accountable, but also to create strategies that would bring about the kind of plan that you see today and the outcome of 5,000 homes. So, I mean, bringing things to today, and you're talking about this community power, I mean, we're now in a very different era when it comes to the, uh, certainly the availability of land in our city's communities. We have this crisis of overinvestment and speculation that has kind of replaced the cycles of disinvestment that really uh, gave way or made Nehemiah possible when it first emerged. So, how is that kind of present crisis kind of has it has it evolved your own thinking in in your own work and in Metro IAF's work in trying to use wield that power to ensure that people have affordable and stable homes? What does that look like now, and what targets are you aiming for now? So the first thing that you know we think that uh, has to happen is is that there has to be urgency. 
urgency and then imagination and then will. Um, urgency because if you look at the latest reports, uh, 200,000 families, black and brown families, have left the city of New York because of one simple reason, affordability. Cannot afford to live here, cannot raise my children here. And that impacts institutions, um, churches, other religious institutions. We're feeling that loss. Um, some of the members of my congregation, families have left who back down, reversing the great migration, moving back down south, but also seniors who cannot afford to live here, um, moving back down south. And we, we just believe that that's weakening ultimately our communities, but also our faith institutions as well. So there needs to be a sense of urgency on the part of community, but also urgency and accountability on the part of elected officials. It is one of the greatest existential crises that we're facing right now. That is affordable housing and also housing for our seniors as well. The other thing is um, there has to be a willingness to work and then a willingness to engage in creativity and imagination. So in the early 80s, there were swaths of land, disinvestment. Certainly there were, there was a, there were a lot of opportunities, but now there are not as many opportunities, but that's why we have to be creative and use our sense of imagination. So there are city-owned land. There is city-owned land. There is state-owned land that can be developed. Um, public housing land that can be developed. State-owned land like Creedmoor um, that can be developed where you can build large amounts of affordable housing, affordable housing that builds wealth and stabilizes communities. So it's really going to take imagination, creativity, and a sense of urgency and will to make this work in this moment, even in a way um, that we did not have to invoke in the early 80s because of the crisis that we're in, but also because of the lack of opportunities. But there are some opportunities if you're willing to be creative. Yeah, so tell our listeners more about Creedmoor. And this is an opportunity that's very much in play right now. Yeah, um, in our analysis, there's an opportunity to build upwards to about 3,000 units of affordable housing in Creedmoor. And Creedmoor, for us, um, is an opportunity to show what is possible. It is perhaps not the only opportunity, but it is one of the larger opportunities that's right there before us. We we did a piece um, not long ago um, entitled Hidden in Plain Sight. And so we we see these large swaths of land that we we drive by and we see, but you have to have the sense of creativity to say what is possible, what can we do with this? And so we are advocating that Creedmoor be looked at for affordable housing. And again, our number is somewhere in the area of 3,000. And um, while that will not resolve all of the issues, it will set in motion um, a prototype, a paradigm shift of what is possible in this moment. And, and Creedmoor, uh, for our listeners, is a former state psychiatric facility in eastern Queens. It's partially used, but the Hochul administration has a request for proposals out right now about what the state should be doing with Creedmoor. I was wondering, are you, in fact, talking to the Hochul administration about what's possible there? And how are you bringing uh, your community organizing to bear on that effort? 
We're talking to anyone who will listen about what is possible. Any opportunity to build that much housing demands urgency. And one of the things that we are concerned about is that it remain um, a strategic approach that remains affordable, that there is affordable housing and that we maximize by way of critical mass, we maximize that land to build as much affordable housing as possible. And so we have been very public about our expectations for the use of that land. Um, and we, we are watching how that unfolds. And certainly um, it is something that we're willing to fight for. Okay. Now, one other, there's another movement that has really emerged lately, um, kind of parallel to what you're doing, but I think distinct also in some ways. And that's there's a lot of interest now in community land trusts as a way of really getting, giving power to the people of New York around their land, making sure affordable housing is possible and that there's really stewardship in the community for the long term. So I was wondering just if, you know, if you've been following this movement, if you see any either uh, parallels or differences, because I do, I do think the Nehemiah model has been really distinct, but I want to hear how CL, the community land trusts also look, look to you from that lens. Yeah, absolutely distinct in this regard. Um, what we're advocating for is building wealth in our community. We have noted that building wealth is transformational in our community. East New York is a different is a different community because of Nehemiah. Um, many of my members who were fortunate enough by way of the lottery system to be able to purchase Nehemiah homes, there's tremendous pride, um, but also there's an opportunity for generational wealth building. And so there was a study done by Harvard and um, the title of this particular study is One Block Makes a Difference. And you can see um, in the Brownsville section of our city, you can see on one side of the block, you can see the difference where there are new Maya homes. But on the other side of the block, there's a stark different reality. And so we believe that um, this opportunity is an opportunity for wealth building. Now, community land trust, you know, may have a role by way of a tool that um, might be useful in this moment. But what we're really advocating for is 100 percent affordability and wealth building in our communities. Okay. And clearly one key player in the future of housing in New York City is going to be Mayor Eric Adams, who's really uh, set course. He said he wants half a million uh, new units of housing. Obviously, the city has a lot of affordable housing programs in the mix. Um, has Metro IAF East Brooklyn congregations, have you been in any conversations with the administration about uh, well, you know, Creedmoor is a state site, but about any of your housing goals and in trying to get ownership really into the mix. Yes, we think there are a couple other opportunities. Um, you have houses of worship that have land. Yeah. And we think that that's another opportunity um, to be able to build affordable housing. Think about the role that religious institutions played during the pandemic. And so by way of being able to support community by way of all different types of services, um, food, vaccinations, testing kits, we found out that our religious institutions were also a part of the front line, first responders in crisis. And what we discovered on our own campus, when the um, vaccination was being rolled out, 
that many of our people were not willing to take it until the church said, let's do this. And so churches have an amazing impact on community. And so we think this is a great opportunity to sustain religious institutions that have impact on our community, but also there's land there and that land can be developed. And we've had some of those conversations um, with the mayor and HPD as well. What we are cautioning in this moment is that there needs to be an all out of, uh, blitz and approach to affordable housing, not just Midtown, um, but the outer boroughs as well. And that every particular opportunity needs to be investigated and developed in this moment. Even as we start developing plans for affordable housing, there are also many losses happening. Um, we're losing affordable housing as well in the city. So we really need an all out approach in this moment. We've had conversations with the mayor and we just, we caution that there needs to be urgency in this moment. We appreciate the plan. Um, but we also have questions about what is going to happen in the outer boroughs. Um, what opportunities will this administration be willing, um, to invest in? And so those are some of our questions. Yeah, no, when you, you know, we're bringing up uh, Mayor Adams, I think he got New Yorkers' attention when he said he didn't believe in the separation of church and state. And I feel like that, he, I think he meant that statement to be provocative, and it kind of uh, uh, almost drowned out the deeper message of what he was trying to get across, which is that I think he, he really does seem to have a desire to elevate the standing of religious organizations and leaders and community members um, in civic life. and and really place them very much at the center. And I think you've just talked a little bit about some of the ways that that, that could happen. I guess, you know, well, this this then leads to the question of sort of what are the potential next steps? I mean, you have through Metro IAF and the different, there's multiple uh, groups of congregations. You mentioned East Brooklyn congregations. There's a, a Manhattan group. There are other groups. Where What can we learn from those efforts to really build that kind of uh, alliance of community and faith power? And, and what, what, what are, I, I'm curious too, I'm asking a bunch of questions at once, but what do we learn for that? How do we deal with the potential and how do we avoid the pitfalls when you start mixing religion and politics as well? <laughs> Well, let me just say this, that um, I cannot speak for the mayor of New York City, but if his intention was to talk about the vitality and the necessity of religious institutions in our city, then I join in that conversation in the affirmative. Um, let me also say this. Um, you've called out uh, Queens Power, Manhattan Together, South Bronx Churches. These are some of our other affiliates in the New York City area. And what we have learned is the necessity of mediating institutions to democracy. And so many of the um, participatory processes that we see um, when it comes down to land disposition really are dog and pony shows. And so, you know, in, in order to ensure that those who are most impacted and affected we need mediating institutions that can come together and hold elected officials accountable. Individuals do not have the power to hold elected officials accountable. It is really the work of institutions that really help to create and maintain a sense of democracy in our city. And so we really believe that in this moment, 
Um, it's really going to be institutional power that is going to have to hold up a certain standard. So if the mayor means by that we need religious institutions in this moment, I agree. Um, the pandemic revealed that, but also in this existential crisis, we need religious institutions um, and institutions in general to step up in a major way. Now, I don't think I answered all of your questions. You may have to come back uh, yeah. and, and, and give me another one. But um, I really believe um, that we have to look at participatory processes in the system. Oftentimes, um, we'll have elected officials saying they spoke to people. Um, you know, this is what the community wants. With that Metro IF, East Brooklyn Congregations and all of our affiliates, we use a tool called relational meetings. We actually do something revolutionary. We talk to people. We listen to their stories. And we ask people the question, what do you want to do? What are you willing to fight for? And so we don't come with theory. Um, we don't come with studies. We come with the stories of our people and we center the voices of our people in the process. And so I would just caution in this moment um, that we don't overlook the power of institutions and how are we doing democracy in this city? Are people really finding spaces where they can claim and have true voice? Nothing about us without us ought to be our mantra. I think a key piece of the puzzle that you're highlighting there as well is follow through like you know community members say this is what we want this is what we need to do and then work together to make it happen over the long haul i mean we talked we already talked about the decades that nehemiah has unfolded under and um you know you've had i i think one real risk in politics and this certainly is has been a, a a feature of the Adams administration so far is there's a you know, very short attention span, right? You, mm. you move on from one, pre one press conference to the next. And so I, I want to know from just your experience, what does it take to really make sure that when you do get that commitment from whichever elected official, that it actually, that it, you actually have follow through and, and not just from them, but from every stakeholder that you need? What does that take? That is an amazing question. Um, and I'll tell you why, because it's it's really through lived and learned experience um, that I answer this. So um, I'm the successor uh, to the Reverend Dr. Johnny Ray Youngblood, who was a part of the um, founding team for East Brooklyn Congregations. And I served with him as his assistant pastor for many years, for 15 years, as a matter of fact, succeeded him and now continue this vision and this work of social justice and affordable housing. And so the succession uh, of Bishop Youngblood and the many leaders that made um, East Brooklyn Congregation what it was in the 80s, 90s, and now we continue that legacy is important because we have follow through. So um, here's what we've learned. Whatever you fight for and whatever you win, you also have to be willing to protect. And there has to be institutional memory, there has to be organizational memory, and that's why it's so important um, to root our work in institutions that can remember and reflect on victories, past victories, but also be willing to fight and maintain those victories. And then the other thing that we learned, you can fight to get a deal, but you also have to fight to keep the deal. Um, 
elected officials can change. Um, positions can change. I remember one time engaging a chancellor at the St. Paul Church in an assembly. And, you know, one of the things that was said in that assembly was chancellors come and chancellors go, but we're always going to be here. Elected officials change, but the people will still be there. And so what is the will of the people and what are the people willing to work to fight for is really the concern. So it's really important to root all of these conversations in institutions like St. Paul Community Baptist Church and the many other faith um, institutions, as well as schools, homeowner associations we work with. And it's really just rooted in the people. And I think that that is so essential to what we're talking about. Reverend David Brawley, thank you so much for this conversation and and for all of your insights. It's really been a pleasure catching up with you um, and and your work. Um, Thank you for joining FAQ NYC. Thank you so much for having me. Blessings. FAQ. This has been FAQ NYC. We're part of the city, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. Our work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc and is supported by listeners and readers like you. Go to thecity.nyc slash give if you'd like to pitch in. We are an affiliate of NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty, Policy, and Research and a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists. Find it all at popula.com. Our host this episode was Alyssa Katz, executive editor of The City. Harry Siegel is our executive producer, and Adam Kimera, our engineer. A special thanks to our guest, the Reverend David Brawley, and thank you, listener, for joining us and making it this far. Be kind, be cool, and we'll be back soon with more.